Father God, thank you. Thank you for gathering us again today. And uh, we have your word open, Father, and we seek to to know your will and to know your heart. We know your heart of love uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ, but we're still ignorant about many things. Even those things that are revealed in your word, we have not yet uh, grasped onto to much of it, I'm sure. I mean, every time we open your word, there's far more food, spiritual food to be found there, and much encouragement. So, Father, thank you for for our hope there in that regard for our meeting today. Please uh, overwhelm us with that joy in uh, in being so close, Father, so intimately uh, connected to you and to our Savior, the Lord Jesus, so intimately connected that we even share his life, his resurrection, quality of life, Father, spiritually. Uh, and, Father, I thank you for the constant encouragement that we receive uh, by the working of the Spirit and uh, the abundance of grace that we continue to grasp onto more fully. Father, please uh, make that a reality as we grasp onto your grace, setting aside other burdens that uh, need to be set aside, and uh, having our remaining blindnesses progressively lifted, Father, as we study your word together. Thank you so much for each one who's here today. Father, there are burdens, though, of course, but we do thank you for everything, knowing that you're the one who's sovereign, not us. Our prayers are not pulling your strings, as it were, but rather recognizing who you, who you are. You are the one and the only one in the full sense of the word that we can rely upon, and we do. Father, I thank you for our nation and our leaders that stand for truth. I pray, Father, that they'd be protected, especially our president and those that serve with him on that level, but also others, Father, in, in our federal and then state and also local governments. Father, on every level, we need those. We must have those that would stand for truth. Otherwise, the nation will be given over completely to evil. And we certainly see the progression in that regard over the years. But, Father, that that progression might be interrupted and that our nation might be turned back. Uh, Father, we pray for that. We still pray for that. We cry out to you for that, that you would deliver us from the evil one and his uh, willing accomplices, which are so, so many, it seems. Please encourage us that we wouldn't be defeated uh, in considering that. The world is a dark place, but Satan's rulership of this world is limited. Father, and you continue to accomplish your perfect plan. So thank you that we are right in the middle of that. As we open your word, Father, I pray that you would... Uh, Help us to see even more of what stands written there and preserved for our, our benefit. Father, may you be honored and glorified in us this day. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we continue today, finishing up today, our studies in the Millennial Kingdom. Remember, there are three phases to the Day of the Lord. The first phase is the Tribulation Period. Seven years long. Second phase is the actual physical bodily return of our Lord Jesus Christ to this earth 
to the very earth, and uh, he will be bringing with him those that have died with the kingdom hope, of course. Uh, and uh, that is uh, then what will set the course for the next 1,000 years as the 1,000-year kingdom, called, of course, for that reason, the millennial kingdom, meaning 1,000 years long. And the fulfillment of all of Israel's land promises. <clears throat> and we're going to look at that today, that aspect of, uh, of the promises of God given uh, to Israel. <clears throat> it's a wonderful study. I wanted to keep it separate. I wanted to make it the last part uh, of our studies in the, on the Millennial Kingdom because it underlies everything. Uh, apart from the literal fulfillment of Israel's land promises, there not, cannot be uh, a trustworthy Bible, right? The Bible is based greatly upon the literal fulfillment of those promises. We're going to see that today in black and white, <laughs> so clearly revealed on the pages of Scripture. Uh, <clears throat> last time we looked at that fundamental principle that an earthly king demands an earthly kingdom. An earthly kingdom requires the giving of a law by the lawgiver, who is the king, right? And the nature of law, the nature of law demands obedience to that law. And if we have a kingdom with a king uh, who's established a law, and that king is, in fact, God himself, right, the second person of the Godhead, uh, then that will demand obedience, demand obedience. Now, Israel as a nation, uh, never did respond in obedience. Uh, they were always falling far short. In fact, the Lord God ultimately set them off into captivity more than once, different parts of the, of the 12 tribes going off into uh, first Assyria and then into Babylon and then into Persia. Right, we've looked at that in some detail. Uh, God promised when He gave the law through Moses that that would occur. He knew they wouldn't live up to the law and would eventually be uh, set aside as a result of that. Uh, but nevertheless, He said, "If if you will keep this law, then I will uh, bless you greatly." And we'll look at that today. That's called the. Palestinian Covenant by uh, Bible scholars because it's all about the promised land and how Israel would be blessed there. We also saw previously how this requirement of obedience by the perfect lawgiver, the only perfect king that this world will ever see, our Lord Jesus, that the, the very fact of that will demand obedience. And since no one is able to keep that law perfectly, and the kingdom law will be even far more uh, intense <laughs> than the Mosaic, right? The Lord himself revealed that in his earthly ministry. 
So because of that, there will be a sacrificial system designed by God to allow for a ceremonial cleansing. So at least they could have the uh, the cleansing need- needed to participate in the, the temple and its various ceremonies. Uh, God will, as, and we'll look at that again today, but God will actually build um, not only a temple, but a city for that temple to go in. It will be built with the hands of God, not with the hands of men, right? And that will be accomplished. And uh, for a thousand years, our Lord Jesus will rule there from Jerusalem, from a throne, uh, as prophet, priest, and king, all three, right? Okay, now Deuteronomy 18 is where probably the most important promise is found uh, regarding all of that future plan of God for Israel. And there we see uh, in Deuteronomy 18, these two verses summarizes it all. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all, all that I command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. (laughs) Okay, so there we see the prophet, and of course he will be uh, the king as well. That's implied here. He will establish that law, and he will execute that law, right? And uh, so... The Lord Jesus will fulfill that role someday. Now, this was a promise to the 12 tribes of Jacob, right? Who, um, after many, many years, uh, ends up in the situation there in the wilderness where where uh, God gives them, because of their great rebellion, he gives them a law to live under. And that law ultimately has hundreds of requirements, positive and negative, over 700 total requirements specified in Moses' law. So don't think of Moses' law as Ten Commandments. That's certainly a very significant and foundational part of it. But who would dare say the ceremonial system wasn't uh, foundational, right? And it certainly was. Okay, so... That is um, what sets the stage for many other prophecies that will follow regarding the coming kingdom. But um, there are many details given, and we looked at many of them last time, just to try to understand better what the life of the believer in the kingdom would be like. And uh, as I pointed out from these scriptures and, and a number of others, the obedience to the law would be a very central part of life in that kingdom. Okay, so <clears throat> there is no uh, lack of focus on that in the kingdom. In fact, the, the, the sacrificial system will be a very dominant sort of thing because rebellion will be very, very common. Now, it is true that in the kingdom... The law is actually written on the hearts of every believer. Okay, we, we read about that from 
Jeremiah chapter 31. That's called the New Covenant, right? Where this law will not be like Moses' law, an external law imposed on the people. It will be an internal law, uh, and I'm sure there will be an external aspect to it, but it will be written on the hearts. That does not mean that a person who still has a sin nature, in other words, an ordinary person like you or I, who's alive at that time, that that person would be able to keep it perfectly. cannot, of course, keep uh, any law perfectly. Certainly not that law, the law of the kingdom, right? And so there'll be this sacrificial system that will dominate the lives of the people. Now, if you, if you find that difficult to understand, I think you should go back and read uh, uh, Deuteronomy or Leviticus <laughs> and understand what kind of a burden... Moses' law by itself was for those people, and that wasn't even a law nearly as burdensome as the law of the kingdom. What it shall be will be far more burdensome, right? Uh, So the life of the believer in the millennial kingdom is a life of obeying the kingdom law and also worshiping according to the rules and regulations of, of the king, right? So don't think that life in the kingdom is like what we have today. What we have today under grace is an entirely different sort of thing. Okay. Um, also, the life in the kingdom is not, what, not at all what people imagine heaven to be, right, for the believer, right? Now, these things have to be kept s- separate. And, and as we read scripture and rightly divide, we understand far, far better these distinctives. And how what God is doing today in our world, however you understand the word world, larger or smaller, in our realm under grace is entirely blessed and distinct from what God will even do in the kingdom, right? Um, the kingdom isn't the end of the line. I mean, at the end of the kingdom, Satan and his minions are released, and uh, there's great rebellion all over the entire world. And at the end... Uh, that judgment will occur, which will remove from the kingdom everything that offends the Lord God. There will only at that time, again, be only believers present, just like uh, it was the case at the beginning of the kingdom, only believers present. Okay. Um, There's also this aspect of the throne of David and how the David and the Lord Jesus will reign together on a throne in Jerusalem. That was promised to David, and it will be fulfilled, right? Um, not only that, but there will be 12 thrones. And who will be on the 12 thrones? 12 apostles. And who are they? Well, you know who they are. <laughs> okay. Uh, they will sit on 12 thrones, ruling the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? That is a key part of the millennial kingdom, period. So life in the kingdom is very clearly revealed in the Old Testament and in the New. Um, Now, one thing that we shouldn't ignore, though, and what I want to look at now, is that in the coming kingdom, nearly all of the prophecies ever made for Israel will be fulfilled. There's only a few prophecies that will not be fulfilled during 
this 1,000-year period. We'll look at that next time, <clears throat> okay? Uh, <clears throat> but um, nearly all of those prophecies, therefore, nearly all of the prophecies that have been given in the Bible, right, will have been fulfilled at that time because, of course, all the prophecies relating to us, uh, you know, given through Paul, those prophecies will have already been fulfilled at the time of the rapture, right? So that will wrap up God's program for this earth at least up to that point of the end of that 1,000-year millennial kingdom. Okay. Um, there are covenants in the Bible that will therefore be fulfilled at that time, right? And those uh, are a few. There are a few. Uh, four main ones. Uh, first of all, the Abrahamic. Secondly, the Palestinian. Thirdly, the Davidic. And fourthly, what's been called in Scripture the New Covenant. Okay? And they'll all be completed at that time. Now, what I want us to do today is to look at those four covenants and specifically at one aspect of them, and that is the land promises and how all four of those covenants become meaningless apart from the land promises being fulfilled literally, okay? <laughs> it's critically important that these land promises be fulfilled exactly as they were stated. So let's look at that now. First of all, the land promises concerning the seed of Abraham. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Roy to read in Genesis 12:7. but let me just say this. The land promises... Uh, provide the background of a great many of the promises that God made to his people, right? The Jews. And those are those promises are revealed beginning primarily there in Genesis chapter 12. I mean, you could go back to Genesis 3.15, right? And you could say, well, there's even an implication there uh, of the land promises, but not, not really, okay? We'd have to go later to get uh, some evidence relating to the land promises. But when we get to Genesis chapter 12, we're right in the heart of it. God calls Genesis, uh, calls Abraham out. He's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. Calls him out from the nations, right? Calls him out from the land of, of um, what? Babylon, the Babylonian area there, right? Uh, <clears throat> and uh, the land in the Fertile Crescent there from the Tigris and Euphrates area, okay? So... Roy, would you please read this great verse here? It establishes the whole uh, background for the rest of these promises and covenants in the Bible. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed I will give this land. And there built an altar unto the Lord who appeared to him. Thank you, Roy. Okay, so... <clears throat> Now, what I'm going to do as we go on here is to show you how this promise is amplified over and over and over again in various ways. 
and details are given, and uh, it, it's the whole. <laughs> it prophetically, it, it's at the very heart of everything else. <clears throat> yes, the promises to the seed. Okay, the seed of Abraham, and as we know already from our other studies, that word seed has both a singular and a plural aspect. So not only plural, not only plural in the sense of many descendants from Abraham. Yes, there will be, right? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, right? Uh, but here the promise is to his seed uh, that the land would be given, and that's that's a promise to more than ultimately our Lord Jesus Christ, who fulfills that seed of the woman promise, right? There will also be a multitude of individual persons who will be blessed through this promise, right? So uh, Abraham will have many descendants, and as we continue on, we'll see how this basic initial promise is amplified. So yeah, now if we go down to chapter 13, and we're not going to read these uh, today, these verses much. There's there's wonderful revelation given here. I'll give you the verse assignments if you want to look at that later, or you can look at the handout file on the libertymessenger.org website, which I'll post there a little later today. But uh, in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 17, God, uh, from a high place, uh, where Abraham can look around in every direction, and he can see the land uh, before him, right? <clears throat> God has, has now given him this, <laughs> this land, and from this high place, uh, he promises ownership of that land to Abraham and to his seed forever, <laughs> and also to the great multitude of peoples who would be included, right? And um, this is what he says, verse 15 of chapter 13. All the land which thou seest, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Okay? And then he tells Abraham to start walking around in that land, and as you well know, he walks around in the land as a stranger and as an alien because he doesn't own it. Somebody else does. But God has promised it to him and will give it to him at a future time. Now, if this is not to be taken literally, where are we, right? We're, we're lost, totally lost. In Genesis chapter 15, the promise is amplified. Okay, it's amplified in verses 18 through 21. Uh, and there, there are many details given. It says, uh, unto thy seed have I given this line. It says, this day, Abram, I've made a covenant with you. So this is actually the day that the uh, Abrahamic covenant is established. There were promises to him before that. We saw that in chapter 12, right? But here, the covenant is actually cut. Animals are sacrificed, okay? Abraham's asleep at the time. He has nothing to do with it. When he wakes up, he sees that animals have been sacrificed on an altar. Hmm. And he's given the revelation that the Lord God has cut a covenant with him, okay? Abraham was asleep. He had nothing to do with it. There were no works on his part involved. 
the Lord God did it for Abraham. So the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant is unconditional. It's not based upon his obedience or upon the obedience of his descendants. Okay. Uh, in all of Abraham's descendants, there will only be one who's perfectly obedient, and that is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ, right? <clears throat> the seed of the woman. Now, in this section, various tribes are mentioned, and some of them extremely powerful. And it's said right here that uh, even their land is going to be given over to Abram and his descendants, right? Um, well, it even includes the Rephaim <laughs> and the Amorites and the Canaanites and so forth, okay? <clears throat> so the strongest nations in the land will ultimately be overcome, and their land will be given to Abram's descendants. What an amazing promise, right? Well, that land, as detailed by that list of, of uh, nations, is large. Uh, how large? Well, you can map it out if you uh, have a way to do that. <clears throat> it says, uh, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. That means from the Nile all the way over to the Euphrates. How far is that, right? That's nothing compared to what is there now. There's a sliver of land called Israel, right? This includes a number of other Middle Eastern uh, areas and nations. So what do they have look, to look forward to? Defeat. <laughs> and the Lord God finally fulfills this promise. Then in Genesis 17, um, the, the definition of who the seed is, the seed uh, of Abraham, is is uh, revealed. It's m to be multiplied even to the extent that he says, many nations will be derived from you, Abraham. Many, many nations. And also, <laughs> most amazingly, he says this covenant, uh, <clears throat> there'll be another covenant someday established. He says, uh, I will establish my covenant. Um, and um, it'll be everlasting. And there'll be a personal relationship with me by each person who's part of all of that. He says, I will be a God unto them, and they will be a God, and uh, they, they will be for me my people, right? In other words, a personal spiritual dimension is part of this. And also, he says, there will be nations and kings that will come out of the, in, in Genesis 17, 6. So you see how in each of these successive revelations, God is adding to, he's amplifying the promises uh, for this particular group of individuals, right? Abraham and his seed. Now, that amplification continues. And uh, in Genesis 21, uh, there's a limitation imposed. See, previously it's only been amplified in terms of numbers. But now what God is beginning to do in Genesis 21 is to narrow down the extent of some of the dimensions of the promise, right? Uh, and, and in Genesis 21, 12, he limits it to Isaac, okay? And Paul explains how 
the the implication of that is that since Isaac was the son of the promise, that there was an issue of faith involved here now, finally. So God could bless many nations apart from faith, and he will. Through Israel, there will be the blessing on all the nations, right, when the kingdom is established. But the special spiritual blessings are only going to be available through faith. And so what, what God is going to do is to narrow this uh, this list given earlier one segment at a time here in chapter 21 down to the descendants of Isaac. In other words, uh, Ishmael's descendants are not going to be included in that portion of the promise, okay? They will have other blessings. That's made clear in Genesis, right? But not the blessings that Isaac and his descendants will receive, right? Then in Genesis 22, um, again, uh, there's an amplification of this. And um, here it says that uh, Abraham's seed will be victorious over their enemies. So there's going to be earthly consequences of these blessings, right? This isn't talking about in heaven. This is talking about here on this earth, earthly consequences. And the blessings are going to be earthly blessings too. Although in Genesis 22, for the first time, there's a heavenly component mentioned. It says, in blessing, I will bless thee, and in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, right? Uh, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, so they'll be victorious, meaning here on this earth, right? And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So, again, amplification, details are given regarding, the, in this case, clearly the coming millennial kingdom, right? This is further limited, Genesis 28. God speaks directly, really, as the pre-incarnate Son of God, I think, who's speaking, but speaking directly to Jacob, right? And uh, he says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land that you are living in, I will give it to you and to your seed, and your seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and so forth, right? Um, so, again, amplification. And he promises to protect them, to protect them, okay? And he will accomplish it. So this is an absolute uh, and sure promise. Now, if you list all the details of these basic promises given here in the Abrahamic covenant, you see that there are 13, actually, uh, John Walbert is a great commentator on scripture, uh, Dallas Seminary professor some years back, uh, made the list of all 13. I'm not going to read that. We just sort of looked at them as we went along. But that there are 13 might surprise you, 13 separate aspects to that Abrahamic uh, covenant and its promises. Well, the big question then is, is the fulfillment of the land promises uh, must it be fulfilled literally on this earth? And the answer is, well, yes, 
of course, we have all the details of how it will be done, right? Then the next question is, have those promises already been fulfilled? And the answer is clearly no. Okay. Uh, many of details have not been fulfilled. Some spiritual things you could argue have been through the coming of Christ to the earth, his death, burial, resurrection, right? And the blessings that have come from that. Now let's quickly look at the rest. Uh, the land promises concerning the 12 tribes in Palestine. And I'd like uh, Patty to read Genesis, uh, what is it? Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 4. And what we're going to see is that in each of these cases, literal fulfillment of the land promises is required. Otherwise, the entire framework of Scripture collapses into the dust. Meaningless. Okay, so Patty, Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 4. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee, and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shalt thou be, blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Okay, now, <clears throat> she could have kept reading because the entire chapter is a statement of what's been called the Palestinian covenant. <clears throat> it's promises to the 12 tribes once they have uh, come into the promised land. Remember, this is given to Moses uh, just immediately before uh, he himself uh, dies, right? Not being allowed into the land, remember? And uh, the children of Israel, all three or three and a half million, will be uh, taken into the land uh, of promise at that time, right? So these promises apply to them living in Palestine, right? Uh, it is part of the promised land, although, as we've already seen, the extent of the true promised land is much larger than this, right? Okay, so um, that is the Palestinian covenant. covenant. It is conditional you just saw that stated, if you will obey, then I will give you this and so forth. If you're not, then don't expect I'm going to give you all of these blessings in the land. In fact, you'll ultimately be cast aside and carried off into bondage. Right. So this particular covenant is conditional, not unconditional. However, there have already been other promises given that are unconditional relating to the future giving of the promised land and for the possession of that forever, right? Not only for a thousand years, it always says forever, right? Okay, um, so like the Mosaic Law, this is a conditional covenant. Mosaic Law in general uh, was of that sort, right? You had to keep the, the terms of the covenant in order to be blessed, otherwise you 
says would be cursed, right? And, and judged. Okay, so the question then is the fulfillment of the land promise uh, on this earth required for God's word to be true? And the answer is, of course, yes. You see, the details are all in an earthly context there, not a heavenly context, right? Have the promises already been fulfilled at some point in Israel's history or afterwards? Of course, no, right? There's so many things there that have never come to pass. As we go on then to the next uh, covenant, it's called the Davidic, the Davidic covenant. And I'd like uh, Lisa to read the initial statement of that. Uh, and that is a statement to um, David. Uh, and it is um, regarding Solomon and his descendants. So, Lisa, would you please read Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity... It will chasten him with, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Thank you, Lisa. It, this is clearly an earthly kingdom. It's promised to Solomon and to his descendants, <clears throat> right? Um, they did, did build a, um, a temple, right? A temple made with hands. Um, but, but this promise in some of its details has never been fulfilled, right? Some of it was, right? Solomon was a very very uh, imperfect king, and he did uh, suffer as a consequence of that, and so did his descendants, right? Um, in fact, not long after Solomon's death, the kingdom was divided, right? <clears throat> Between 12 tribes in the north, two in the south, and uh, nothing, or at least not much, went well after that point. There were a couple of righteous kings, but not many in their long history. Right. Um, so the forever part of the promise here awaits the millennial kingdom. Right. And the establishment of a city, a, a temple and uh, the fulfillment of all of these promises. Well. Is literal fulfillment of the land promises required in order to fulfill what's written here, according to the details we find there, yes, a throne, a kingdom, and so forth, um, is clearly uh, one on this earth. There's no way to interpret it any other way. Um, well, we saw in our last studies how in the millennial kingdom, God will fulfill those promises, right? But, you know, we left out one part, and... Uh, 
because of the time, I'm going to save it for our next uh, meeting. So there'll be one more. Uh, there will be one more session here on the Millennial Kingdom, but you might uh, do a little study in advance. Uh, we're going to focus in next time on what we didn't look at very much already, and that has to do with a certain city called the City of God in the Bible. <laughs> and this is a city not made with hands, and within it will be a temple not made with hands, Interestingly, already existing even now in heaven. But the day will come when Christ establishes his kingdom at the second coming, when that all is going to come right down out of heaven upon what? Upon this earth. And there'll be a great change in many respects. And the kingdom will be established with all of that in the midst. <laughs> a heavenly city, a heavenly temple, heavenly thrones, but on this earth. Okay? And we're going to see that from Scripture next time, and uh, that will set the stage for uh, our, our final uh, view on uh, <clears throat> Scripture as the, old, as the Old and the New Testament reveal it. In fact, we may be able to finish up it completely next time. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so, praise the Lord. God will complete his promises. But there's a large component to that. It's not all heavenly. Will it be spiritual nevertheless? Of course, you know. God can bring great spiritual blessings upon this earth. He's even bringing them to us, right? We still live in these earthly bodies. Uh, the stain of sin hasn't been entirely removed. The guilt of it has been, right? But our nature is still corrupt, and we still suffer injury, illness, and death, right? And many trials on this earth. But praise the Lord for his grace that's poured out abundantly to us. And I pray that we would increasingly grasp on to the reality of that grace in our lives. Are there any questions or comments uh, before we close in prayer? Uh, Jim, I was just going to say that your commentary is so helpful because um, just to hear you talk about how it's a literal earthly kingdom, um, and I know that there are some people that are out there that um, that don't teach those things, and that right. they say that it's a spiritual kingdom only. Are there right. also people that um, that think that these things have already happened? I, I I hadn't really heard that before. Are there are there people that do think that this has already happened and that it's not future? Oh yes, right. yes, uh, many many, but but they don't take the promises literally, of course. Okay. But they do believe. Yes, there are many that believe it's already happened. In fact, the, most of those who were involved in the first couple of centuries of our nation's existence, you know, like the Puritans, for example, and the Pilgrims, and then, and then uh, the, the groups of, of, uh, of believers here in this country uh, at the time of the Revolution, for example, and afterwards, many of them thought that the, all the kingdom promises 
were in fact being fulfilled on this earth <laughs> in the last 2,000 years in one way or another, right? Uh, even that That's why you have such hymns as the Battle Hymn of the Republic. <laughs> oh, I see. Wow. <laughs> right. That's so interesting. Yeah, so so Washington, D.C. ends up to be the new Jerusalem. <laughs> you don't take things very literally. <laughs> very interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a good question, Lisa. Any other questions before we close in prayer? Okay, let's let's go to the Lord. Father God, thank you for gathering us again today. And what a blessing it is to see Scripture as it's written and to let Scripture interpret Scripture and how we see, therefore, that that which is written hundreds or millennia even later is consistent and supports what was written earlier, at least if we rightly divide the word of truth it is. And we're so thankful, Father, that you've opened our hearts to that. Please bless each one, and and when those burdens of life come, some of which are great, Father, uh, I pray that we'll be sustained through them and find that your grace is always sufficient. Thank you again, Father, and uh, may your blessing continue to abound, and may we be lights in this world of darkness and uh, vehicles for you to uh, communicate and to share your precious word with others. We would ask this in Christ's name, Father, and amen.